You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. I'm Avery Smith, and I'm here to invite you to Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, a multi-faith podcast of transgender stories. Whatever your own relationship to gender and spirituality may be, you will find yourself enriched by the stories shared by my guests, who so far have ranged in religion from Christian and pagan to Jewish, Sikh, atheist, and beyond, and have hailed from the U.S., Chile, Poland, Australia, and more. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts or read along with episode transcripts by visiting blessedarethebinarybreakers.com. See you there. Hey, everybody. It's Reese Roper, one of your hosts here at the Pickle and Boot Shop. Come for the pickles, stay for the boots. Anyway, uh, this is my weekly disclaimer. First of all, I just released this to our Patreons with the wrong episode, and no disclaimer. These guys pay for the show, and I just ruined it for everyone. In this episode, we talk about duck abortions. I'm sorry about that. Somehow we mentioned that the insiders were almost contracted to do the soundtrack for a pornographic film, and I apologize for talking about that. Also, we talk about Frank Sinatra and recording... I'm going to tell you right now, I don't like Frank Sinatra, so I'm sorry about that. This is the show, The Pickle and Boot Shop. I hope you hate it. I'm not kidding. If you are paying attention to your life and your Instagram account, uh, you just saw that we posted a reels for kind of what we're doing here, a little live look in, a little live looky-loo, as the kids say. Kids are saying that a lot lately. Lit fam and looky-loo. Um, bringing that back, just so you know. My kids don't, they're not that advanced. They're, they're like in fourth grade and kindergarten. So things are still like cool or neat. Yeah. They talk about yeeting. Yeeting. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. My kids, that yeet was a big word, um, a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. last year, year before. Yeah. Yeeting, yeeting was a thing. So I'm, I'm hip to that lingo. I'm like, yeet your freaking green beans dude yeah but they don't think that's funny yeah <laughs> no no like my kids like i was we were we were doing a thing one time 
uh, at, at our house where we were timing each other who could run around the house because the house was like an open floor plan that like went in a circle. Uh-huh. So we were timing to see who could run the fastest around. And I tripped and fell. And so my daughter said that I yeeted uh, when, so apparently like f- falling down was yeeting. It was yeeting. So she was like, I oh, it was like throwing like fucking stuff. I don't know. She was like, dad came around the corner and like yeeted. Like, it, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then I, on, if you've ever seen the Netflix show, the outer banks, a dude goes to jump over a fence and catches his foot on the fence uh, and falls. And then the female character goes, John B, did you just yeet over that fence? And so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, in that context, I think your daughter used it correctly. Yeah, but it could also be like the word Smurf. If you remember the old Smurf cartoons where they just Uh used the word Smurf. For everything. For everything. It was like our dude. You know, uh-huh. like, dude, blah, 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 Smurf. Hey, today's a Smurfing good day. <laughs> yeah, Smurfing butthole. Dude. <laughs> I Smurfed his butthole. <laughs> that, that could mean anything. Could mean you washed it. Could mean you took Did a, a colonoscopy. Of colonoscopy. You poked at it with a, with a dead fish. I don't mm-hmm. know. They, like, the Smurfing could be anything. Yeah. And there's probably is like there's probably some urban dictionary word smurfing. for smurfing that <laughs> we don't know say? about and and yeah it, it's like somebody out there is rolling their eyes like all oh, these guys have and it's hey it's, mom don't look this up yeah it's funny because the other day uh, the girls and I Madivas um, Ella and Mia we were um, watching a movie and Mia adjusted her sock and in doing so part of the sock went like between her toes like uh-huh. it got like real uncomfortable and she goes she goes look she goes look it looks like i have camel toes <laughs> me and her older sister <laughs> so her sister's 17 and i am 44 looked at her like what <laughs> and she goes feet it looks like i have camel feet <laughs> and so then there was like a minute and a half of silence and then her sister i hear her sister as if i'm not in the room ella goes camel toe is something completely different <laughs> and then i hear mia go yeah i know what camel toe is i I didn't mean to say it. Oh and I go, gosh. I go, guys, guys, I can hear what you're saying. And then like, we all just like laughed and then just like went on with the movie. But yeah, she was like, oh, look, I have like camel toe. <laughs> and it was just dead silence. A camel feet, camel feet. I mean, ca- camel, f- it looks like my a pig's feet. It looks like I have a pig's foot. <laughs> like that, that she was trying to change it. It was pretty funny. That's awesome. Now, I will say this. We are out here in the studio. Oh, I just said studio. We're out here recording on a picnic table lakeside. Mm -hmm. I wish we could have recorded albums in a place like this. When it comes to band life, when it comes to all that stuff, did you always record? I guess I'm going to kind of take this like serious back to like what people pay for maybe. Okay. Um, but like, did did you record? I guess what I'm trying to say is, did you record in the same spot every time, like the same studio? Were you like, a, were you guys like a band of habit, or did you record at different places and do different things and, and stuff like that? So Five Minute Walk had 
Masaki, and he had a studio like maybe a mile from their offices. And just, I, I don't know, I, he, I don't know how long he had had this studio. If he had it, he must have started it before Dime Store. So he was... Um, I remember them, Dime yeah. Store Profits. So he was the guitar player. Yeah, they, they I remember that. Might have been the first five-minute walk band. I remember the Dime Store Profits playing that club that, like, when we talk about like the mm -hmm. early like early insiders like playing that that club yeah. where tony weatherly the fringe where tony would like bring bands in he brought in dime store profits i remember seeing them They're there awesome band i think i saw them with black eyed siva mm -hmm. i think it was also dime store black -eyed was siva. that was the frank tape plan was just put all the bands on tour together heck yeah <laughs> heck yeah so go on back to the studio yeah so saki had this studio and it was like in an industrial park it was like um there was an office part and then like one of those garage doors, but it went back and then he, it had a second story. So he rented out studio space on the top to other people, which I think paid his bills. He had a couple rooms up there and they would use it like for practice studios. I think sometimes guys would build out like a recording studio in there. And then downstairs he had an office for himself, a bathroom, that garage area that had a pop machine. And then a he had like a mixing room and a sound room okay. that he kind of built out, and it wasn't the best. Like now, because I record stuff, like I know it wasn't the best. Like that, the the room that he had for uh, for the recording room was just concrete floor. He had some baffles and things like to absorb the sound, but um, there was always kind of this natural reverb in there. That would show up on on his recordings, which was fine. You know, like it was cool for our band. It made us sound, you know, like the old Motown recordings. They would always yeah. record in that attic. Like they ran all the speakers up there. You know, it's still that? here in Detroit. Yeah, I want to go see it. Hitsville. Yeah, it's not far off the highway. Okay. Like you could, if you're driving back home, when you're going back home, it's it's going to be. 10 minutes off the highway okay and then if you if you pay to like do the tour and whatever i think it's kind of a hefty price like to do it i think it's 15 or 20 dollars for like the tour and but yeah you can go you can go through it and tour it and see yeah. and they have like the piano like the piano that everyone played like in there and i got all that go. stuff yeah. yeah if i go with my kids they won't it'll be a waste of 15 bucks and Correct. they'll just complain the whole time yeah no it's it's not for like kids like they don't they don't get it it's it's no. I don't even think, I don't even think like, well, no, that that's a bold claim. I was gonna say I don't even think like twenty year olds and under would get it, but it's not like we were alive during olds, Motown. Yeah. It's just yeah. whether you like that style of music and you get it. But yeah, so go on, so go on. So yeah, so Saki had this studio and um, he got a PlayStation. <laughs> so we would just like if you weren't recording, you could sit in the control room, which had a futon. And he would always have a TV going. So you'd always w be watching, like, some true crime thing uh -huh. or, like, cops with the with closed captioning. And then – or you could go play PlayStation or you could go out into the parking lot of this place and throw a football around. Yeah. That was it. Or you could you could hoof it. You know, like, yeah. there, where he, he – um, was in Concord. There was like any type of 
good restaurant. That's what I was going to say. Anywhere. Like, That's what I was like, going to say. I feel like Afghan food in there is this amazing place. Or good sandwiches, good Mexican, good There's Italian. There's always a good everything. Mexican place by a, yeah. by a recording studio. Yeah. Now, did you say Afghan? Yeah. Like Afghanistan uh-huh. food? Uh-huh. What, what, what's that consist of? I mean, I it would think like, just like Mediterranean. It's kind of like Mediterranean, like Middle Eastern. There's a lot of weird gourds that you don't think about eating. Like there's eggplant, but they spice it really nice. And then there's pumpkin in a lot of stuff. And Really? Yeah. It's so good, though. If you get a chance to eat it, it's so good. Yeah. In, in movies and television shows that I see, um, you know, from Afghanistan, mm-hmm. usually... Um, there, there's some sort of military film yeah. that, that, you know, the Americans are going over to Afghanistan for something. Yeah. Things don't appear uh, what they're eating. I've never seen in one of those movies and thought, dang, that looks good. Is that goat on a stick? I want it. Yeah. Just like, like sucking on a goat tail you know, or something. <laughs> yeah. It's always something weird. I imagine there's some weird things you could get, but. Yeah, it's good. Speaking of weird stuff, we'll get back to recording studio and stuff. But um, Reese and I, well, at the time you're probably hearing this, hopefully this will be airing. Uh, you guys will be getting this uh, in the next few days because uh, we, we plan on getting this out as, uh, as you know some some special stuff for the the subscribers. But we are going to film ourselves, and when I say ourselves, I mainly mean Reese. Uh-uh. Uh, I w- I tried to find Balut because. As you know from earlier episodes, uh, Reese said that he would try Balut. And if if you look that up, B-A-L-U-T on your phone, it is a 17-day fertilized egg um, from a a bird, a bird egg, a chicken or a duck or something. It's a duck abortion. Yeah, it's basically a duck abortion. It's a duck fetus. It's a formed (laughs) bird. And... You hard boil it and eat it. I mean, you can see it on the internet. It's crazy. Reese said that he would try it. One of our listeners who lives in the Detroit area said that he thought that this market that's by us sold it. So I went to the market yesterday. They did not have Balut, but they had the 100-year-old preserved duck eggs. So I got... Six of them. Six. They co- they come six in a pack, a half That's half a dozen for two dollars and fifty cents. That's really so a bargain. We're gonna eat these eggs now. Here's the thing. I so you guys have heard my journey with COVID. I I couldn't eat, smell, couldn't uh, taste. It had just gotten back to the point where I was just starting to taste and just starting to smell things, and I got vaccinated. I totally jumped the gun on vaccination. Like, they told me 90 days from my last symptom. Yeah. And so if you consider no taste, no smell symptom, I was still not smelling and not tasting really. And um, I should have been getting my shot probably around the 4th of July, but I got it, like, last week. Yeah. And got it. Nothing happened. I didn't feel like I got hit by a truck. I didn't have any side effects. The only thing that happened is I went back to square one as far as tasting and smelling. I have zero taste, taste, zero smell. So today what we're going to do, you're going to eat the egg. I'm going to eat the egg. You can taste. You can smell. I can't. But when one sense goes, I think your other ones are heightened. So... (laughs) I always talk about mouth. You're like daredevil. Yeah, I always talk about like mouth feel. So because I can't taste food, I like a good something 
a good mouthfeel, right? Uh-huh. And there's nothing worse, like the worst mouthfeel in the world is like a hard-boiled egg. And if these duck eggs, these preserved, they're, they're black. They look black. We'll post video and pictures of it and all that stuff. We'll do all that. It's, it might be just, it, I mean, I might not be able to taste and smell it, but just the feel alone may make me barf. <laughs> and you said you don't even like eggs. I don't. I don't this like eggs. The, this is not going to help that. I can't, like, I, I, there's nothing about it. There's nothing about an egg that, like, I like. They, they smell funny. They taste funny. Any way you cook them. I have to I have to have completely dry eggs. So if I eat scrambled eggs, got to be completely dry. Mm-hmm. There's a place by my house that does omelets and they they pour the egg like on the the flat top almost like a crepe. It's paper thin and then they put all the stuff in it and like roll it like a burrito oh. and put that on the plate. It's amazing. That so I, sounds really good. Yeah, so I love my omelets like that. I don't like all the stuff cooked into the omelet uh-huh. where it's like in the egg. So this place is awesome. It's phenomenal. So like I can eat eggs like that. I'm not big on scrambled eggs. I don't eat egg salad. Um, I'm not a big fan of like deviled eggs. I don't know if are deviled eggs like a national thing or uh, like, it, they're satanic. Okay, so satanic eggs. It's actually funny because. There's deviled eggs, and I saw something on the internet where someone put, a, like, they put deviled eggs, and they put a picture of a deviled egg, and then the other picture said, like, satanic eggs, <laughs> and it was, you took, like, you know how with the deviled egg, you have the whites, and then you, like, mix the yolk with, like, other stuff, and then mm-hmm. you put that back in on the white? They had put, like, da bomb hot sauce underneath the blob of like the yolk that went back in yeah so those were called satanic eggs so that (laughs) when you eat them you didn't know that that was underneath there and then your mouth and butthole are on fire that's real nice so back to recording studios yeah so the you always so are you saying that that's where you recorded every time so so we did our first album there we knew Saki from playing shows with dime store and then he was kind of the person that pitched us to to Frank to Five Minute Walk. So we had we had a relationship with him where we'd call him and just be like, "Hey, how's it going with Frank?" and and he, he's such a cool dude. So um, ended up that uh, we recorded our first album like in eight days in this place, and then. Five minute walk, you know, like after that, we had sold enough albums. They were like, you can spend as much money as you want on this next album. I'm sure they wouldn't be able to pony up like a hundred thousand bucks, but and enough for an indie band, you know, like yeah. they, they would have spent probably up to a hundred thousand. Yeah. But then Frank's just like, but that's your money. You know, like you're, you're not going to recoup very fast. Right. If you do that. Right. So Saki you know, Saki will keep recording you guys as long as you want. And by that time, we were re- everybody's bros with him. We were really good friends. First album, we stayed, we stayed in this house. I think I talked about it. This house, this girl that went to Frank's, um, Frank's church. I don't know if he owned the house or she was renting it, but like sublet a room to us. This girl was a, like a single pregnant lady. Oh. So hot. Like I'm 
even, still even have a Prego. Right, yeah. Even Prego I still have shoes a crush on? on her. See, I don't I don't find Prego girls hot. I, and I take a lot of heat for this. Like women get upset with me when this topic. Look, Leanie the weenie. She she jumps all over me with this. I, I, I yes, it's just a different kind of beautiful. Like I feel that women are God's most beautiful creation. <laughs> they're all beautiful, and so anyway, I still had a crush on this girl. We slept all in one bedroom, and she was in the other room. Of this house, pregnant. Just all of us, yeah, all of us laid out like like Jonestown <laughs> on, on sleeping bags. And then the next the next time, Frank had a house that he was it was his house, but he was moving out of it. So he was renting it out to these dudes that went to his church. One of them was Justin McRoberts, and that was where he first okay. met him. Because like, for when we showed up to make the album. We got in at like 2 a.m. to make our newest album ever, and and Justin McRoberts and this guy who's uh, like Saki was in my wedding, and this guy Chris Baker, really good like oh, my I best remember. friends. I remember yeah. the name. I vaguely remember his face. So Baker, um, he he moved to Colorado, hung out with us. He went to med school at CU. And now he's like a, a, a like a pulmonary specialist for kids. Oh, it's big time. But they both lived in this house, and they had made this whole breakfast spread for us. And we got in at, like, at least 2 in the morning, and we didn't wake up until, like, they had yogurts for us, like, in this bowl of ice and all this stuff. By the time we woke up, it was floating in water. (laughs) Everything was like, I don't know. It, It had been out for... <laughs> a a while, <laughs> but so cool. So we same thing like Jonestown in in one or two of these bedrooms, and then every album after that, we except the the our EP we recorded in Denver, but we recorded at Saki's and then we just stayed at Saki's house. Yeah. So Saki wasn't married. He had this house in Benicia, which is like another East Bay city. And uh, we recorded that. We recorded, you know, like our newest, not our newest song ever, Quantity is Job One, that EP. We were just sick of being gone from home because we had been on tour for like two years. Yeah. So we talked um, Frank into paying for this studio in town, which was like in Denver, there was like in Colorado, there's two places to record, three, one of them burned down. <laughs> And then there's like the blasting room where the guys from the descendants own it up okay. in Fort Collins. And then this one place called FTM Studios in Denver. And we didn't want to drive to Fort Collins, so we did FTM Studios. I don't know. It was probably more expensive than our newest album ever because we had to pay Saki, but then we had to rent out the studio for like a month. Yeah. To do an EP. Ooh. But like we always. When we did Motor City Ska, well, the the first album like we ever recorded, the first like recording we ever did, was at this place called Sound Camp um, outside of Detroit. Yeah, and that's where we like we did our seven inch. Then once we got signed, uh, they had us go to California, so we we went to in Huntington Beach. There's this famous place called the Green Room. Yeah, so, yeah. So, Gene Eugene. Yeah, so Gene Eugene from Lost Dogs and Adam again. 
like he he owned uh, he owned the green room, and so all sorts of like Southern California bands would like record there and all that. So we go, he recorded us, and that was Motor City Ska. So then, is it like a house that yeah, he owned? And yeah. did you could you stay there or just like a house? Did he live there? He lived there, so okay. he was in one of the rooms. Then there was like this like weird like hippie woman. That like lived there too. I forget what her name is. That's and people awesome. listening to this are probably screaming at the at the radio, screaming at the speaker what her it's name Dorothy. was. Exactly. But she was like this no nonsense. Like she didn't care if you were like Blink 182, Aerosmith, Clapton. Like she did not care. She was just that was her house. She didn't care who was recording there. And she just like would tell you to get out of her way. If wow. you were like sitting in a chair, she's like, I sit in that chair to read. And like you'd like get up and move. When you were in yeah, when you were in the house. And then when you went through a door, you would go through a door and then it that was like the studio. So from outside, it looked like a normal California ranch home in a suburb. Yeah. It like it did not look like a studio. It like it just looked like a, a home. And then you went in and it was like a living room. The living room was a tiki bar. So like the the main living room was was a tiki bar. Uh-huh. So the the bar was there and then there were like, you know, like stools and stuff you could sit on. And then like maybe some sort of like beanbag chair. Then there was like Jean Eugene's bedroom and then this this other lady and her name's like right on the tip of my tongue. There was like her bedroom. Then there was like a dining room that had a pool table. Uh-huh. And then the kitchen. And so then you walked through the door and then in the back was like the the recording room. There was only one recording room. Then there was like the the boardroom and then there was like a break room. So there was like some couches and chairs and then like a little bathroom off that. And so Gene did like our first album, did everything in there. Um, the first time like we recorded, we recorded and the band Bloomsday, do you remember them? Yes, man, they were so good. Yeah, so Bloomsday was there, and like we're like Midwest, you know, kids, Detroit kids that like go out there to this like laid back, relaxed, laissez faire, uh-huh. you know, California culture. And so we've we've said it on earlier casts that when you like before we like started making money, you would like save up your money to go out on tour and that's all the money you had. So when you were out of money, that was it. So like you really planned your meals and you did that stuff. Well, the record label put us up in this like condo, this apartment um, with this guy, his name was Eric Tokel. Uh-huh. And he played bass for... Um, Rich Young Ruler. Do you remember that yeah. band? So Eric Tokel played bass for Rich Young Ruler, and he had this apartment and in this apartment complex. And then the record label, it was like a two-bedroom apartment. So the record label like basically paid his rent for you know a month or two and gave him some like extra money. And then he had his like bedroom, like he had his own bedroom. And and then the, in the other bedroom, we all were in there. And then the, there was the kitchen and then the living room. The living room had nothing. There wasn't a couch. There wasn't a table. There wasn't a chair. We all just sat on the floor. Oh, my gosh. And there was a TV. There was a TV, and that was it. Everybody just sat on the floor. 
in Tokel's like room, he had couches, chairs, he had a table. Like his bedroom was like set up like a one, like a one room like studio apartment. Uh huh. And so we had nothing, no furniture, no nothing. So we didn't spend a whole lot of time there. Um, but so again, we were in the studio. Bloomsday was in there, so we would record when we could, and then when we stopped recording, they would put the Bloomsday reels on and. They were trying to like mix and like Gene Eugene was like helping them like mix their album and all that stuff. Yeah. So they would like sneak in there whenever possible and do some like, you know, like uh, you know, pop ins and stuff and fix some things. Well, we had like our money and our budget and there was this Chinese food place and the name escapes me. Oh, the walk experience. Uh-huh. And so while we were living there, this this Chinese food place opened opened up. And so they were having like a special um, for like the first month that it was open, which was like the month that we lived there. And basically, I forget what the special was. I think it was called like the combo number one. And you got like a meat and then you got like rice and like something else. Oh, and lo mein noodles. So you got lo mein, fried rice, and then whatever meat for like eight bucks. Uh-huh. And, but it was so much food that that would be two, if not three meals. That like you could your, stretch that. That was your whole day that of was food. My, yeah, that was my day of food. So I remember one morning I went, I got it, I get back to the studio, I eat it, I write on it because I'm a Midwest kid and I know office, you know, office demeanor or, or decorum or whatever you want to call it, procedure. So I wrote my name on the box and I put it in the fridge. So I record all day, and then it's dinner time. I've been, like, recording for, like, five hours, six hours, whatever. So I come out, and I go to the, I go to the fridge, and my, my food's gone. I'm like, where's my food? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm starving. Yeah. And, like, where's my food? And I'm like, and I ask, like, you know, Bram or whoever. I'm like, uh, you know, do, do you know where my food? Like, did they clean out the fridge or something? They're like, huh. And I walk by, I walk through the tiki bar, and the dude from Bloomsday, the guy who was like six foot eight, you know, like the lead guy with like dark hair, whatever his name was, he's sitting there with my food in his lap, just scarfing it. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, what? And I go, oh, you're eating my food. And he's like, he was in the fridge. And I go, yeah, I know. It was in the fridge to like stay cold so right. it didn't like spoil. And he goes, he goes, bro, it's, it's, you put it in the fridge. It's anyone's really. And I go, it has my name on it. And I was like, that means it's not anybody's. If I just put something in there Uh and it doesn't have my name. Yes. Procedure is that's up for grabs. I would agree with you there. I have my name on it. Holy cow. And he's like, and he's like still eating like while, (laughs) and like, I'm like, are you serious, dude? You're just going to sit there and, like, eat my food. And he's like, well, what do you want me to do? I'm like, stop eating my food. Like, like, I'm about to just shoot you in the face, dude. Like, <laughs> I'm and, – and, and you guys understand this. Like, understand where the story is coming from. 19 years old on a fixed budget. Plus, you're hungry. You're starving. Like, you're a grow. I'm a growing boy. I'm 19 years old. My body is still growing. And 
I've, I've basically had to like ration out food and every meal is planned and everything like that. So by him eating my food, I didn't eat that night. Like that was it. Uh, oh that my was, gosh. that was my dinner. And that meant I didn't eat. So when it comes down to stuff like that, hopefully listeners, you start to realize like, Oh, okay. There's, there's more riding on this than I just missed a meal. Right. <laughs> and so, and I could go get something else. Like it, you know, it put me out to go buy something else. No, that was like my budget. And so he just didn't get it. And, and he so just kept eating. I was like, yeah. didn't get that you were pissed or oh, anything. I was fuming. And so finally, like it was conveyed. It, like I was like, I'm a, like, I'm about to beat the crap out of you. Like I'm about to beat the crap out of you. And, uh, and like other people kind of stepped in and were like, Hey, Hey, what's the problem? What's the problem? And at this point, like you feel stupid. Like I felt stupid being as angry as I was. And then when they're like, whoa, 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 what's the problem to be like, he's eating my food. Like it, it even sounded childish coming out of my mouth, but the principle of it was true. And so finally, like a few hours later, he comes up to me and he like gives me like six bucks or something. He's like, Hey, sorry, I eat your food, man. And he gave me like six bucks. And I was like, and, and again, I think I ended up explaining to him, I'm like, dude, I, I, thank you. Uh, understand where I'm coming from. Like, we're out here. Like, we don't live down the street like yeah. you do. You know, you, you just live down the road or whatever. And I was like, I have 250 bucks to get me through, like. The whole month. The, I mean, two months. Like when we, Two months. See, this is, this is what happened. When we went to record Motor City Ska, the plan was we were driving to like Southern California across country from Detroit. We got to SoCal and we got to Huntington beach. And then we recorded for like, I want to say like, it was almost like a month that like we recorded. So we recorded for a month and then we toured for a month and a half before going back home. So we drove out to California and then the whole way back, it was us. That was our first tour. It was us Bloomsday and Fold Zandura. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So Bloomsday opened. That's a crazy good show, though. So Bloomsday opened, then it was us, and then it was Fold. Well, I think we had talked about this on a, on a, you know, on an earlier podcast by like the third show, Scott had like blown, like Scott was huge. So the kids that were coming to the show would like, they weren't really into, those of you now, I'm, I'm going to say this term like emo, you, you don't know, like the emo of today is not emo. Like it's not anywhere close. If you want to hear emo, listen to Bloomsday, listen to Sunny Day Real Estate, mm-hmm. listen to Far. Dear Ephesus. Dear Ephesus. Like that's emo. Like those are like the godfathers. Sunny Day Real Estate, Sunny Day Real Estate is the, that's like the godfather band of emo. I don't know what today is. Today is like metal and stuff like that and people just whining and, and kind of being like an emotional type voice. But if you want to hear emo, listen to Sunny Day Real Estate, like their Pink album or the Circles album that has like the Fisher-Price people on it. That's emo. Mm-hmm. And so Bloomsday was like that. So Bloomsday would come out there and they would do that. And again, like ska, punk, and hardcore from where we're from, always went together. However, emo didn't like there weren't those types of bands that played with it. So they would open, then we would go and then all the kids would leave. And then there would be nobody for like Fold Zandura because Fold Zandura was this like band that you couldn't even put a label 
Like what? What are they? Are they alternative? Rock. Are they pop? Are they rock? They rock. Yeah, like lots of synth. Like you know, they had like you know tracks that yeah. you know they played to and stuff like that. So it was real weird. So after like the second show, uh, Jerome and Gyro and Frank were like, "Hey guys, how about you guys headline?" Wow. So we'll you know we'll go second. So our very first tour, like that's what happened. I think we played, I think we played like Phoenix and we played like Scottsdale or Tucson or something like that, where we were the second band. And uh -huh. after that, for the rest of the tour, like we, like we headlined. But the tour was like, it was like a five week tour. So we went everywhere. Like we crisscrossed back and forth across the country. So we had been in California for a month recording. And then we went back and forth across the country for another five or six weeks even. Yeah. So it ended up, we were gone like two and a half months with the 250 bucks that you left home with. So that is why like that became like, yep. you know, you fought for it. You're like a, you know, like a, a wolf that finds a carcass and a bear comes along and you're like, dude, I ain't giving this carcass up. I'm going to fight this bear. Yeah. Because this is this is survival. I want to know what happened to Bloomsday because they were that album is so good. It was called the Day the Colors Died. I think so. It's so good. I have, honest to God, I haven't listened to it since 1996, 1997. Okay, I gotta go back and I, I gotta go back and listen to it. If you can listen to it, you can stream it now. I don't know. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure you can because all the those you know bands like I would think that their record labels would would be streaming that stuff. Yeah, I don't think it. I don't think I ever saw them play. It was like one of those deals where the like. The, the the rep for the record label would give you stuff out of their trunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, ah, oh, you guys are cool. You're in five iron. Come over <laughs> here. Here. Do you have this album? Everybody gets 10 CDs. Uh -huh. Yeah, yup. Or it was the label trying to get us on their label, and they would be like, check these bands out. Yeah, and here's a hoodie. That. Mm. Here's a Black Eyed Siva hoodie. Yeah, <laughs> it did happen. Yeah, um, so, but the... So, the the recording studio that we were in the green room that was like that type of vibe yeah and we we i mean i could go through i mean i mean i guess we have time up here we could edit it up but i think going through the records we recorded we recorded um uh motor city sky at the green room mm -hmm. we recorded we recorded Hallelujah at the green room we recorded Fight of My Life at Chicago Tracks okay. in Chicago. And that, that's a studio that was owned by Ministry. Oh, cool. And it was owned by Ministry. And if you watched the documentary on R. Kelly, uh -huh. it was also the studio that he had women like... Chained on them or whatever, yeah, like in those rooms. And I have a story about that too. So you peed on some ladies when you were there. We we recorded while we were recording. Our Kelly was there. Like we shared a serious, yeah. So we shared like a break room with him. So like one day, I like walk in the break room. Oh, so here's something. So people who know that we had like recorded with R. Kelly. They always, like, the, the joke is, oh, did you ever see, like, blah, 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 like, the women and all this stuff? And the, the honest answer is no. Never saw the women, never knew that that stuff was going on. However, there were rooms in the studio that we were told we could not go in. Okay. And the reason we were told we couldn't go in is because R. Kelly's bandmates 
like they like to sleep all night or they they're they record all night and then they sleep all day so we were told you are not allowed to go in these rooms so there were like these three rooms that we just we weren't allowed to go in and it was made very clear that if we went into those rooms our recording session was done like we were out <laughs> and so we just like didn't want to mess with it so like what was your recording budget for that like to go for like fight of my life yeah like I think to go that was to like, that i think that was like a hundred thousand serious yeah i think it was like 80 grand or a hundred thousand dollars and that included the producer yeah yeah okay and who'd you have for a producer on that one i think for that one we had barrett jones uh-huh and barrett did like nirvana like he yeah. got famous by doing like nirvana and then um, Dave Grohl really likes him and he's like a friend of Dave Grohl and so I know Barrett has done stuff for with Foo Fighters Jeez. and things like that and if you watch the did you ever watch the documentary on the Foo Fighters that was like on HBO no it's you know what phenomenal. I like the Foo Fighters more than I like their music yeah I, I feel like their music I'm just like this is good rock it's fantastic. I, I'm, I'm the one. I'm the person. That, I'm going to say that again. I'm, I'm. Uh, I honestly believe that the Foo Fighters are the greatest rock band ever. Wow. Yeah. All I, right. I'll, I'll make that claim. Um, I like like everything I see. All their videos, super cool. Everything you hear about them, they're cool people. They do cool things. I just, I can't get behind the music so much. It's good, yeah. but it's like. I don't know. It, it's like one of those bands where I'm just like, it's good. It's not my favorite, though. Yeah. They they did a documentary, a series on HBO, uh-huh. where they went to all these famous studios. Have you heard of this? Have you heard about this documentary? And then they did an album. And so what they just did... playing like one song at each One song, studio? and they would write it at the studio. So yeah. all these famous studios all across the country, they would go to like... Um, uh, what's the one like Sun Records mm-hmm. in like Memphis or whatever? Yeah, that like famous studio where like Johnny Cash, Elvis, you know everybody, uh, you, you know recorded. So they'd rent out a super expensive studio and just sit there and work on their writing. Yeah, holy cow! So like Dave Grohl would sit down with like a piece of paper and being in that city. So each episode was like him kind of taking in the city and taking in the history of this recording studio. And then he would write a song about that, about that city, about the studio, about the history. And, you know, obviously like have like a little Dave Grohl spin on it and then they would set up and so they would play. So they, the ones that I could think of is like, um, the studio were like Fugazi, like in DC. Uh-huh. So like the like one of the studios were like Fugazi, and then like uh, Ian McKay, McKay from Minor Threat. Yeah, I, I, I is I he th- also in Fugazi? Yeah. yeah okay, yeah. we were talking about this like two episodes ago, and I couldn't remember what his yeah. other band was. Yeah, Minor Threat. Then he was Fugazi. like in some Harry Krishna band. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we Which can't. I can't remember. Yeah, we can't. It's not. Is it like Shy Halud? No, that's like the guys from Strong Arm started that. Okay. And so so it like uh he would go to all these studios and then they would record all these these songs and then they put it all on an album. So okay. if you bought that that album of theirs, it's like a 10-song album and then they recorded like each song in a different studio across the country. Okay. I mean, that sounds really cool, but also 
super expensive. Yes. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's growing the Foo Fighters. They get what they want. Um, so then, like, we recorded that one in Chicago. And with, oh, so the reason I was talking about that is if you watch that documentary, Barrett Jones is in that documentary, like, talk about stuff. So Barrett Jones did our album so poorly. It was done so bad that when we listened to it, we were like, this is garbage. Like, how do we salvage this? The way it was recorded or the mix? The mix. Okay. Like, all that stuff. Like, he did Nirvana. He did rock. He didn't do ska bands. And that's, like, when we talked about the, the episode uh, you know, where these 50-year-old dudes who don't know about the style of music, they just see it as a cash cow where they make decisions. All we ever wanted... I may have things screwed up now, but I believe like the Mighty Money Boston's always had these guys. They were brothers. They were either twins or they were brothers, I believe. And they worked for like, um, like Tang was like the Mighty Money Boston's like first like record label, I believe. T-A-A-N-G, I, I think. Uh-huh. And these two like brothers would like mix them. And so we always wanted these like two brothers, like... We just we just wanted to be able to say that the Boston's guys who like produced and mixed their albums mixed ours. And we could never get them. And then finally, like when we had like the budget, like this hundred thousand dollar budget or whatever to be like to make fight of my life, we were like, hey, let's get these guys. And for whatever reason, like our record company is like, no, we have an in with Barrett Jones who did Nirvana. And we're like, awesome. Like that's that's cool. Yeah. And I'd love to sit can down and do talk ska? to the guy. But can he do ska? Like does does he has he ever mixed a horn? Yeah. Like does he even know that? Or how to record them. Like what mic do you use? Yeah. Where do you put it? Exactly. Like who how, out of does Seattle? He know what a, like a good trumpet player is gonna sound like. How do you coach that out of somebody? Exactly. And so but the record company was like, no. So they went with Barrett, completely screwed everything up. Like he got in like a fight with Kyle. He got like you know, all this stuff. It was it was terrible. He was probably tying a tarp to Kyle's tree. Oh, uh, it was awful. And so then we ended up going back. We went back to the green room. Uh, Gene Eugene, like, mixed it. We, like, I think we had to, like, to completely redo, like, two songs. Was that included in the $100,000 or... Is that what made it a hundred thousand? No, I think that was. Or is, was it over? Yeah, it was probably over budget. Damn. Yeah, and again, that's why everybody went bankrupt that we were on. So yeah, so then that ended up happening. So we recorded there. We recorded um, Scalleluia two in Laguna Beach. There was a producer there, and I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. Like the nicest guy in the world freaking mansion like he lived in a mansion in laguna beach and you recorded in this guy's mansion in this guy's mansion Jeez. like half of his house what half of this mansion was the studio yeah and so he was there like his family like went on a vacation like his family wasn't there it was just him and then we rolled in there so we stayed at the house we stayed at this mansion and then recorded and that was fun because we had a bunch of like um guest musicians like we did old rugged cross yeah and sang kim sang it like elvis uh, and then he also sang it like in korean as like a korean elvis uh -huh. and so to get that like kind of ragtimey feel like a couple of the guys had gone to 
um, like on, on a day off, they went to Disneyland and the like ragtime band that was at Disneyland, like the guys who played like clarinet and stuff and like some ragtime band, like Nate went up and was like, Hey, you guys want to make a couple extra bucks? And they're like, yeah, what? And they're like, we're recording this album. We could use you guys. So we had the Disneyland kidding? ragtime band like showed up at the studio. How many dudes were there? I think there were, uh, I think we used two of them i think we used two or three so if you listen to the insider's version of old rugged cross that that ragtimey sound that was the guys these musicians that we brought in from like disneyland and then the skeletons their sax player uh his name was kip uh we had him come in because it was after we had toured with uh jeffrey's fan club and the skeletons yeah so kip came in and he's like this amazing like he could like he could do throwback like Motown stuff. Like he has that Motown soul voice, uh-huh. and so he's on a couple of our songs where he plays saxophone, and then he also does background vocals, and sounds amazing. I mean, I was just like, I felt like like I was like a high school like quarterback, like standing next to like you know Tom Brady. Like I just felt worthless singing because he's just amazing. So that was cool. That's awesome. So we did we did that album there, and then we did soundtrack to a revolution at Royce Nunley's house, uh, and I've talked about him in the past. And then Sinner's songbook we did at this small studio that Nate met somebody who's in our hometown, um, a, a studio that I didn't even know existed, and we just did we did that there. Yeah. So, th- so he, you recorded only two albums in Detroit. Correct. That's only, crazy. Only two albums in Detroit. Yeah. So, uh, Sinner Songbook and Fight of My Life were recorded in Detroit. All the other ones were recorded everywhere else. But here's the thing: we would always send the mixes back to Gene Eugene. So Gene always mixed it. So if we recorded it in Chicago, we would send it back. When we recorded it, like in Laguna. We would send you it, you know, to mix. yeah, to to Gene Eugene. So we would have a producer that would do all that, and then when it went to mis- mixing and mastering, Gene always did that. Yeah, and then he mastered it too. I believe so. Okay, I believe he mastered it. I don't. I for one album, I think we sent it out to someone uh-huh. that, like, again, same thing, like some guy who had this like amazing ear. Yeah, and, and you know, and and would master, and then we wouldn't like it. And yeah. then we would go back to Gene. And then when Soundtrack to Revolution came out, that was all Royce. So Royce mixed it. Oh, did actually no, Royce didn't. This guy named Sky. Are you familiar with that guy? Uh-uh. He's like one of Tim Tabor's dudes. He mixed it and mastered it. So he came and like set up this like portable studio. Cause I think Royce had like old school recording equipment and this guy named named Sky had like pro tools and all that so he came to Royce's studio set up his stuff at Royce's studio yeah. and then he he did all the mixing and mastering and i think to me i think soundtrack to a revolution is like our best mixed i think that thing sounds it sounds so fantastic tough. yeah i think it sounds really good yeah i forgot we did so we did, we did all that, all our front stuff with Saki, and even we recorded two live albums with Saki. Like he would just carry his gear. Um, so we did uh, proof that the youth are revolting, and then we did 
one for our last show, but we recorded just about every show so he could cut pieces where we messed up. And, yeah. Because the entire last show, I was sick. I was sick for like a month of that last tour from the the bus that Frank had us on. Ugh. It was, I think I talked about this too. It was like um, freaking one of the guys from NSYNC's brother, Aaron. Aaron Carter. Carter, yeah. It was, oh, that guy's so like a meth. Bought the meth head bus from this allegedly. dude. Allegedly. And I kept on being like, Frank, I think I'm allergic to something on the bus. I think it's something on this bus. And he'd be like, well, I had it cleaned. It's fine. And I'm like, well, maybe in the ducts. Did you have them cleaning? He's like, yeah, they changed the filters. They were dirty. but So after we finished, I was sick for a month, just singing really? through the cold, just sick, sick. We get home for three days, played our last show. Like those three days, my voice improved enough that... It didn't. It wasn't awful, um, but like they, Frank cleaned it afterwards, and he said there was two inches of mold on every part of the, like just two inches thick of mold inside all the ducts of that bus. Ugh. So it was just blowing mold in all our faces as we slept. Um, but yeah, we so we recorded. All that was Saki, even the live stuff. And it wasn't so much that, like, Saki was the best, but he kept getting better with every album. And um, I feel like we could have done, like, we could have, at, after our first album, just been like, hey, what does it sound like to get a really expensive guy to produce your album? Or go to another studio or get somebody else to mix it. But we loved Saki so much. He's such a cool dude. That are like, do you want to go, f- like, figure out this how to do this again with some stranger or hang out with our friend for a month? I don't know. How did you guys record? That's my other question. How did you guys record your albums? Like, everybody went to the place, and then you just kind of like, it's your turn, and then everybody else is sitting around? Or were you still writing when you got there? No, so all our writing was, we always had everything done prior. Yeah. Um, I, To my recollection, there, there might be one or two songs in our catalog that maybe was written at the studio, but to, like gun to my head. I would say everything was written. I, there, there might, again, there might be one anomaly or something. Uh-huh. But to my recollection, every single song was already done prior to going. All the lyrics were written prior to going into the studio. And then what we would do is we would get in there and obviously ju- just like just like everything else, you every you know, probably the way every band does it, I'm guessing, is uh-huh. the way that we were taught to do it. So like everything centers around the drums. So day one, you get in there and you just rip through all the songs. Lay down scratch tracks. Yeah, scratch tracks. And then record the drums for real. Exactly. Yeah. And then drums are, are playing to all the scratch tracks of you know everybody else. So then you get the drums down, then bass comes in, and bass is playing to the real drum track, scratch vocals, scratch guitar, scratch all that. So then bass plays, then guitar would come in. He's playing to the real drums, the real bass, and scratch vocals, scratch horns. Then the horns come in. They play to the real drums, the real bass, the real guitar, scratch vocals. Mm -hmm. And then I would come in and... When I, and then I would come in and I'm hearing everything that all the guys have done, like perfectly all the real stuff. 
I would do my parts and then we would do whatever backgrounds and gang vocals and all that yep. stuff after. We did the exact same program. Yeah. And then the, the, the like percussion. So then as you listen to it, if you know, you listen to it that 400th time and then you're like, there's just something missing here. Oh, I know we need a, we need a, a, what do they call it? Like a jawbone, uh-huh. like the, the ass's jawbone or something. And then someone would go digging or go to some studio where their friend worked that had this like instrument that like it literally like you smack it on your hand. It makes like a clacking noise. And then like, okay, that's what that needed there. You know, and you'd go back and you'd kind of fill things in with like some like weird percussion, like here or there, you know, it's something that, that was needed. Did the producers weigh in on like, I don't think this chorus is strong enough. Yes. Can you guys do that? Yes. Do this stronger? Yes. Change these words? Yes. Sing it this way? Yes. They did do that? Yep. All of that. They, they would do all of that. And so that's why when it got to soundtrack, so the insiders had kind of like broken up for a while and then we get back together in like 2005 to do soundtrack to a revolution. And that was the thing. Like, I, you know, we would ask, we'd be like, how does this sound? And they're like, sounds great. And like, after a while, I was like, are you just like blowing smoke on my skirt? Like that was Royce producing. And I was like, are you going to give me like any feedback or like, tell me? And he's like, why? Like, this is you, this is your art. I'm not going to tell you how to do your art. And, and he was like, I mean, if, if you want, you can ask me questions. Like I'll give you answers. Like, and so then I was like, no, please do. Like if you hear anything that's like, this would be more listener friendly, this would be, so then he would, then he would start giving, you know, kind of, I might do it this way or Joe, maybe you could sing like that. I I remember one time when we were recording soundtrack to revolution, we went and got subs from the place that we ate yesterday. Tubby's. Uh Uh-huh. And it went right through me, and I was like, dude, I am, I'm going to have diarrhea. I'm going to have diarrhea so bad. And I was like, let's record it. And so we took all the mics in, and we put, we put a mic on either side of the toilet. Uh-huh. And, like, I'm sitting there, and I'm, like, get, I'm uh, trying to hold it in. I'm like, guys, 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 I'm about to let loose. Like, you no. got to give me the thumbs up. So I'm watching. So in order to see, like, the, them at the booth, we had to set up a mirror so I could look at the mirror and then see the reflection of them, like, you know, a, 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 like a 90-degree angle. That's a lot of squeezing your cheeks oh, together. Dude, I was holding it together. And so they give me the thumbs up, like, okay, we're recording. And so I'm like, here I go. And it goes, and just explodes. So we get this horrific, like, diarrhea, whatever. And we had it on the album so if you listened to the album like to the end it was like this hidden track like way on the end me just exploding diarrhea and do you hear you go here it goes yeah yeah. oh dude and so we send it to tim and tim like so we're like hey here's the album and we send him like the you know this is our finished product and like two hours later we get like a, a phone call and he's like what is that at the end? And he found it. <laughs> he found it. And he's like, dude, that's not going on the album. And that was Tim Tabor. We put that out on his record label. Yeah. Floodgate. And uh, he's like, that's not on there. And we're like, Tim, come on. And he's like, absolutely not. It's not going on. He's like, this isn't even a debate. <laughs> so like, we had recorded this awful explosion of diarrhea <laughs> to just to just put on the end of the album like like pretty much like that yeah, this is typical insiders oh man you know, crap we need to get this and put it out <laughs> to our patreons i know and so we there was a recorded crap that didn't make it onto the album but the other crap songs did the other ones were were just as 
We're just this poopy. No. Um, yeah. So I don't know what. So the whole time everybody else is recording, what did you do? Like so, if you had everything written, were yeah. you just kind of sitting around that whole no. time? Or were you in there being like, I don't like how he played that fill? No, because I didn't. Like we had a thing where like we wouldn't really tell each other how to play our instruments right uh-huh and so everybody brought their gifts and their talents to it and the way that they wanted to use it now if somebody asked a question hey what do you think i should do here yeah someone would be there to give them an opinion but like i would never tell like nate like hey 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 like stop what you're doing i don't like that you need to do this maybe the producer would uh uh-huh. like gene eugene might um and like frank lens like Nate really respected Frank Lenz. Because he's amazing. Yeah. And so Frank, for our first couple albums, whenever we were at the green room, like Frank Lenz would like hang out. And even on, even on one of our albums, there's like this hidden track at the end that people are always like, what is that song? It's like this real weird, almost like Devo type song. And it was because Frank Lenz, we had been recording it. Like we all went to dinner and like while we went to dinner, Frank went in the studio, hit record and like made this song. Like I think maybe we were gone for a weekend. Like we had to do some shows in California no. and like, and then we were away for like a couple days and then came back to the studio and he had like recorded this song. And it's called like manual transmission. Oh my and gosh. so if you if you like look up insiders on iTunes or Spotify or whatever, and if you look up like manual transmission, it's all Frank. It's all Frank. That's not even us. Like we don't play one note. Oh, that's but funny. He did all the music and then he wrote all the lyrics and then he but he did it while we were in there and we were like leave it on like it's going on the album so yeah. it's on the album. Um, yeah. So. What, what was the question? Did we... Just what you did while oh, everybody yeah, yeah. else was playing. Yeah, so wherever we recorded, um, we were always like... I mean, it sounds stupid to say wherever we recorded, that's where we were, you know, yeah. right? Like, that's a stupid statement, but... But you only recorded two, two yeah. albums in your hometown. So, right. like, there, you're like, if I'm not in the studio, I'm I, home. I can go do things. Yeah, so that's what we did. I usually recorded... The way it worked out is I would usually record from, like... 10 or 11 o'clock at night till like two in the morning. So that's when I would do my vocals. So during the day, when we were in Southern California doing Motor City Ska, we were at Tokel's apartment. Like the apartment complex had like a pool. So like we'd be swimming, we'd be going to like all these like record stores, uh-huh. stuff like that. When we were in Chicago, that was different because there wasn't much to do there because like where the studio is it it was like in a really bad area of chicago um and so that was that was weird um we also now that i'm thinking about it, we recorded at two places in chicago we we recorded the place um i might getting i might be getting the names of the studios wrong like the place where r kelly that was owned by Al Jorgensen from mm-hmm. Ministry. That place might not have been called Chicago Tracks. It might have been something else. I think Chicago Tracks was a studio that we recorded, I think, one song mm-hmm. that was downtown Chicago, like by Navy Pier. That's cool. And so, like, Frank Sinatra had recorded Jeez. there and stuff like that. Oh, there was a story there. So we recorded in downtown Chicago near near uh, Navy Pier. 
And it was this the, the studio that, that Frank Sinatra had recorded at. And so we were like kind of asking questions and nobody that worked there at that time had worked there when Frank obviously recorded. Mm-hmm. But what was funny is they have a story that Frank Sinatra and like his record label paid like all these like musicians, you know, you know, basically like an orchestra to come in and let's say they got there like on Monday. So there's like 50 people. They're all in this room. They're like ready to go, everything. And they're on the clock. And Frank doesn't show up. And, and they're probably union yeah, members. So yeah, they're getting yeah, top dollar. Top dollar. Frank doesn't show up. So an entire day they've sat in the studio. Frank doesn't show up. Next day, Frank's on his way. They sit around all day. Frank never shows up. Jeez. So like, I don't know if it was the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day. Everybody's in there, ready to go. They're sitting around, and all of a sudden, boom, front door opens. Frank walks in, hands his coat to, like, someone who's just, like, just here's my coat. He walks in. The engineers are all, oh, my gosh, let's get this thing up and going. They're, like, you know, turning on the board, doing everything. Frank Sinatra walks in. He walks right up to the microphone. He's, like, one, two, three. The band starts playing. He starts singing. The engineer, it happened so quick, the engineer couldn't hit record quick enough. So he misses like the first like three words. Frank comes in, one take, goes through the song, ends it, done, lights up a cigarette, walks back out, grabs his coat, walks out the door. The engineer's like, wait, 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 wait. Mr. Sinatra, Mr. Sinatra. He's like, you know what? Uh, you came in here. Uh, you, you, know, you, you surprised me. Uh, you got in there. I didn't get like your first three words. And he was like, you figure it out. And he just walks, gets in his car, and drives away. Damn. So, like, every, like the, the band, everybody was just ready. Like, they knew what was up. So as soon as he came in, he was like, one, two, three, boom. They all hit at the right time. The engineer didn't, didn't record vocals. And uh, they had to figure out. Like, Frank never came back. He never came back to, like, redo it. And they had to, before Pro Tools was a thing, like, they had to figure out how to get those lyrics that were repeated later on in the song. Oh, they cut it and spliced the yeah, tape. Yeah, like old school. Like they had to with with actual tape. Yeah. Like it was like scotch tape. They, they had to figure out stuff together. Yeah. How to get those first like three words. Jeez. So that was like a story from like that place. And I think that place was called Chicago Tracks. The other place that was the R. Kelly uh uh-huh. place, the dungeon. Um that place was weird, too. So it was owned by Al Jorgensen of Ministry. I hope I'm saying that name right. I hope I'm saying the right so. name. Or Jorgensen. Yeah, something. I think everybody calls him Jorgensen. So when we walk in, as soon as we walk in the studio, we, we arrive in Chicago, we walk in, we're greeted by this probably eight-year-old girl who's growling at us, snarling at us, hissing at us. And we're like, uh, what in the world? Like, we're like, hey, does somebody, do you know who works here? Somebody need a hug? Yeah. So this girl, we open the door and we walk in as a band and then like the, like the little lobby hallway, this is who we're greeted by is this eight year old girl growling, hissing, like foaming at the mouth at us. And we're like, uh, do you work here? <laughs> you know, like, can you find someone who works here? So finally this, like the receptionist comes back from like taking her dump or wherever she was. 
And she comes in and she's like, oh, hey, guys, are you the insiders? You know, we're like, yeah. She's like, oh, let me show you to, you know, your studio and blah, blah, blah. And she goes, this is Al's daughter, Legion. He named her Legion. So here's Ministry, this like blatantly satanic band. And he named his daughter Legion. No, he didn't. He did. And here she is like for all intents and purposes, like possessed, standing in front of us, like foaming and like, like if, here come the Christians. We just walked through the door and she was like, Rah! like she was if not possessed. She was at least like taught. This is a rewarded behavior. <laughs> oh, it was act like you're possessed. Bizarre. Yeah, it was bizarre. So then we got a Christian band coming in. Exactly. And so then oh we, we like, we go to walk up the stairwell that leads up there's like an a studio and a b studio and r kelly was in one or there were a couple studios but r kelly was in the big one and then we were in the other like the next big one and we like go to walk up the stairs yeah and there's like this altar of bones like this like sacrificial altar made of turtle shells and turtle bones and then the um the staff that you would see the dude I, th I think it's Al from from ministry. Like he always had this like staff um, at like live performances that had like a goat head, like a goat skull with like the big like curly Q horns. Yeah, like that staff was like there and stuff like that. So we're like walking all by this. And we're like, what in the world? Like this is crazy. And then we get up there, and R. Kelly's in the one studio. We're in another one. Then we would record, and while we were recording one day, I'm out like, I'm out in the, the hallway or something, and this guy who is part of another recording session, he's like, hey, are you part of this group in there? And I'm like, yeah. You know, yeah. And he's like, what kind of music do you, what kind of music is that? And I was like, oh, it's called Ska? And he's like, you guys got like horns and stuff in there, don't you? I was like, yeah. He's like... I'm doing a project. Like I'm here, like recording a project. I would love to use you guys. I remember you telling me this yeah. when it happened. Yeah. So he goes, I'd love to have you as like the background music for this project I'm working on. It's a film project. Yeah. It's a film project. And I'm like, Oh, cool. I was like, well, I just sing. I'm not like a musician. And he's like, yeah, it would just, it, I don't need singing, but like, if you're, if your buddy's like, I'll pay him. And it would just be like, you know, kind of like the score to this, this movie. And I was like, oh yeah, man. Like, what is it? Like, what kind of movie is it? And he's like, oh, I do videos for Penthouse. <laughs> it's a like, love story. It's a love story. And I was like, what? Because people and, fall in love for a couple minutes. Yeah, they really love each other for about 13 minutes. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so he's like explaining to me like the, the scene that, he, but he, he never mentions like the sex or anything like that or like nudity. He's straight talking to me. But he did say me. penthouse. He did say penthouse. I think I've heard of this. Yeah. And, it's uh, a magazine? Yeah, something. And, uh, so he's describing that, like this cafe like this cafe scene. And so me and the guys were dying and we were like, Oh, could we like, could we be in the video? Could we be in this cafe in the background? And you know, that would be our payment. And we're dying laughing. And he's not like understanding why we're thinking this is like so funny. Right. And he's thinking that like we're artists and our craft would be like in his, you know, artistic, you know, vision. And then he's he's kind of like, why why are you guys laughing? And we're like, because we're a Christian band. 
Like we're a Christian ska band. And so then he's like, oh, and we're like, yeah. So they would kind of be funny if this Christian ska band, like now I would do it. I would do it in a heartbeat. Just be in the background. Yeah. I don't, listeners, I don't know if you guys, if hopefully you don't know this, but there's, there's a porn star named Kendra Lust and she's a, she's a big porn star. She's a popular porn star and she's from Detroit. And I always think it would be absolutely funny on my other podcast called the average jerks. We talk about local Michigan. I always think it would be so funny and I have connections that I would be able to get a hold of Kendra Lust. Hashtag Kendra Lust. I always think it would be funny to have her on the podcast, build up having her on the podcast and then have her on and never talk about porn. Like just talk about normal things. Mm-hmm. Talk about her being a mom if she is you one. Good, you ever had a good ham sandwich? Yeah. Just where's the best ham sandwich in, in Detroit? Talk about everything else. Nothing. Never bring up. Don't even insinuate it. Don't talk about the yard of beef. No, nope, nothing. No nothing. innuendo. No nothing. And just talk about everything else. I think that that would be hilarious. And so with, with kind of along those lines, that's what I thought back then. Like, oh my, like back then I was like, oh my gosh, no, the insiders couldn't do that. Nowadays, if it was like, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> Pornhub wants to use insiders music in the background. I'd be like, heck yeah, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> the double whistle for Kendra Lust. Hashtag Kendra Lust. If you guys don't know who Kendra Lust is, don't look her up. You should not look her up. Yeah. We can tell you, or just look up Kendra Lost clothed. You might be, you know, like safe for work. Do, just do not do the image. <laughs> yeah, don't part. do an image search. Or if for you do, videos. yeah, do safe for work Kendra Lost. And that that's probably, oh, okay. if you have to, that's how you should do it. But don't just Google her name. That, that would not be good. And if children are listening... You, you give your phones back to your parents. You're done. You're done. You're done. Just lost the internet. You just lost out. Uh, phones with teenagers is like giving them the infinity gauntlet. It's too much power. It's too yeah. much power. Don't do it. Um, yeah, so that's that's, that's kind of like so some of my crazy. recording stories. I want to tell you more, but I got to pee, and I feel yeah, like let's I take should a break. start drinking booze. Yeah, let's do it. For more shows like this one, visit rockcandyrecordings.com.